0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: There's controversy as to whether or not a Christian can drink. And some of you guys say, look, I have a beer now and then no biggie. I have a glass of wine now and then no biggie. You've got to make those decisions yourself. You're the one that has to answer to God for your life and your faith in Christ. And um, sometimes we deceive ourselves. And I would just encourage you to make sure that you're not being deceived by
0: these things. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. When is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol and when is it not okay? <laughs> That's a question best searched out between a believer and their savior. But the book of 1 Timothy gives specific instructions on leaders in the church when it comes to drinking, as well as other instruction in many other areas of their life. We continue with more from our teaching at of 1 Timothy. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson, with more on First Timothy chapter three.
1: We are co-laborers together with the chief shepherd. We are pastors, which means shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He is the episcopate. But if someone desires that role of an episcopate, of a bishop, then he desires a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But there's got to be a certain character that this guy has. Verse two begins to give them to us a bishop or an episcopate, then must be blameless. That is above reproach. You should live your life in such a way that people can't point to it and say, there's a problem. I'll give you a few examples. Sometimes people live with a woman. Sometimes they live with a woman whom they have a relationship with. When you challenge them on it, they say, oh, we don't do anything. And you can't tell me I can't live here and I'm going to be broke anyway if I don't live here. So they got to make excuses for why it's okay to live together. The Bible says avoid even the appearance of evil. So if you have somebody who wants to be a pastor or a leader and he's living with a woman that he's in a relationship with, I'm not talking about living with his mother or sister, okay? I'm talking about living with the woman that he has a relationship with, then he's not living above reproach. Because when you say, we're not doing anything, the rest of us go, right? When you say, listen, we sleep in the same bed, but we sleep under different sheets. Uh Uh-huh. Listen, we all know what it would be like to be living with someone we're attracted to, sleeping in the same bed with them, being under different sheets for protection. All right. We're skeptical. We'll just put it that way. Okay. We're skeptical. And we would say to you that you are not living above reproach. To be going into a home, shutting the door, taking a shower, crawling in the same bed and saying we're not involved sexually is not living above reproach. You're not being blameless. And so a pastor, an elder, an episcopate has got to be above reproach. He needs to be above reproach in his finances. He needs to be above reproach in his relationships. He needs to be above reproach in his relationship with the opposite sex. He needs to be above reproach in all aspects so that no one can point and say there's a problem. And so the, the bishop must be blameless a husband of one wife. Now, there's controversy on this one. Some believe that this means that he can never have been divorced. The assembly of God, for example, will not allow anyone who's divorced to be a pastor in the assembly of God. I disagree with that. This uh, what about somebody who was divorced before they came to Christ? What about somebody who they were divorced by their spouse when they didn't have anything to do with it? They didn't want to get divorced, but they themselves were divorced. In their day, even as there is in Utah today, there are polygamists, certain cities of Utah especially. That was, by the way, kind of a joke. It didn't go over too well today in general. But I'm glad you politely laugh after I tell you that that was a joke. Just as there are sister wives today, how about that one, huh? Just as there are sister wives today, there were sister wives in their day. Not called the same thing, but there was polygamy taking place. And so Paul was simply saying in the church, if you are a polygamist, then you can't, you can't be a leader. You can't be an elder, okay? A husband of one wife, temperate, which means self-controlled, sober-minded, which means serious about the things of the gospel. There's a time to have fun. I don't think as a pastor or a leader, you should always walk around, I'm serious, I'm sober-minded, I'm serious all the time. And it's good to have fun. I like to have fun. I like to rouse my friends. They rouse me for sure. But when it comes to the things of the gospel and people getting saved and committing their lives to Christ in the church, sober-minded, of good behavior. Certainly don't want somebody misbehaving all the time. Hospitable, meaning that he's open to bringing people in. He's approachable, uh, able to teach. It's always a good thing for a pastor to be able to teach. Not given to wine. Later on, it would say of the deacons that they are not given to much wine. Wine. I believe, first of all, the culture they lived in and the culture we live in is radically different. They lived in a culture where alcohol purified the water. okay? And so if in a culture that Paul is living where the water is being purified by alcohol and he says elders are not to be given to wine, let's go to our day when we don't use alcohol to purify our water and it would even more say that elders are not to be given to wine. There's controversy as to whether or not a Christian can drink. And some of you guys say, look, I have a beer now and then no biggie. I have a glass of wine now and then no biggie. You've got to make those decisions yourself. You're the one that has to answer to God for your life. And um, sometimes we deceive ourselves. And I would just encourage you to make sure that you're not being deceived by these things. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. What is the reason you're drinking? Uh, Not violent. That'd be a drag, wouldn't it? I went to church, the pastor beat me up. Not greedy for money. Uh, Pastors can often be greedy for money. Charles Swindoll said that the three areas that a pastor struggles with is the three S's. Sex, silver, and sloth. He struggles with being lazy, making sure that he keeps his nose to the grindstone and does what he's supposed to do. Silver, Money can be a problem because when you are overseeing the church, you have access to money. And embezzlement can always happen for anyone that oversees. There will be a temptation to embezzle for anyone that oversees on any level. So a person that is greedy for money does not make a good overseer because that temptation is going to be there and sex, making sure that, again, I talked about it earlier, the relationship with the opposite sex is right. You're above reproach in that relationship with a person of the opposite sex. 2020 did a program not long ago about some pastors here in, I don't even know if I'd really call them pastors, television evangelists, more like it. Benny Hinn was one of them. Uh, Kenneth Copeland was another one of them. And uh, they had houses that were multi-million dollar houses. 20-acre estates on lakesides that are just over the top. Well, both of these guys claim that God wants you rich, so I guess they're just living out what they claim. I heard one preacher say, I talked about $20,000 shoes earlier. I heard one preacher say one time, I'm wearing $20,000 shoes. First of all, if you're wearing $20,000 shoes, don't brag about it. You're going to get mugged. Someone's going to steal your shoes, okay? (laughs) Secondly, where do you buy $20,000 shoes? Have you ever been in one of these stores? Have you ever walked over, picked up a parachute? How much are you? $20,000. That's a bit more than I want to pay for parachutes. <laughs> that's crazy. Benny Hinn, they pointed out that he stayed in $10,000 a night hotel rooms. I didn't even know you could stay in $10,000 a night hotel rooms. I didn't even know they had them. When a pastor's going somewhere and the church is funding the trip because it's for the church business, for him to stay in a hotel that's a nice hotel, I mean, in our economy, what we're talking about today, you know, 130, 140, 150 might be pressing the envelope, but you, you that might be all right. You certainly don't want him staying in a $24 hotel, do you? Where he gets mugged on the way in or the cockroaches carry him away in the middle of the night. <laughs> so there's a balance. And depending on opinion, some people not like that pastors would spend $120 on a hotel room. Others, others might not mind that. I think that would be, but there's a, there's a certain area that you could be in, but it's not to be greedy for money. And I think that we understand why, okay? And then he says, where am I at? Not greedy for money, verse three. Not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not contentious, another one says. Again, there's nothing worse than a, a pastor that just wants to fight with people, that wants to argue. We handle the truth. There's no reason to quarrel or be contentious. You just lay the truth out. You persuade people gently. You persuade people through the handling of the word of God and not covetous, just desiring all kinds of things. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he to then care for the church of God? Now, It doesn't mean that a man's house could not have some difficulties that arise. Doesn't mean that a teenager might not become rebellious. Doesn't mean that there there wouldn't be a problem that would arise in his home. What it means is that he handles it well. That's what it means. There have been problems that have arisen in pastor's homes and they have not handled it well. They have not handled their family well. I think that disqualifies them. But just because a problem arises doesn't mean that they're disqualified. Because how they handle difficulties in their home is a reflection on how they'll handle them within the church. It's a test to how you will handle those things that are within the church. And so then it goes on to say, uh, not a novice, lest uh, being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Make sure that whoever finds themselves in a role of a pastor or an episcopate is mature. Uh, One of the things that happens to us is that at a certain point in our maturity in Christ, we begin to believe that we know everything. It happens to teenagers too. 16, 17 years old, they go, my mom doesn't know anything. I think my 18-year-old feels that way about me. I'll hear him say something sometime, and I know that he's thinking like I did of my mom, but she doesn't know how the world works. She doesn't know what goes on in the world. She doesn't know what really goes on out there. Uh, I understand what really goes on out there. And I submit to those of you that are 16, 17, and 18, no, you don't. And that your parents do know really what's going on. They just aren't talking to you about it, okay? But they do know what has gone on and what does go on out in the world. After you mature in the Lord for a while, you realize it's not me. If you're a novice and God begins to use you in a powerful way, you can get puffed up. You can think, yes, it's because I walk with the Lord so closely and I'm such a great spiritual man that God does great things. After you walk with the Lord for a while, you're shocked when God uses you. Why would God use me? Because you realize I got problems and God uses me. So not a novice, lest they be puffed up and fall into the same reproach as the devil. Much more, much over, he must have a good testimony among those that are outside the church. That is, he doesn't want to be involved in corrupt business deals. He wants to pay his bills. He wants to to make sure that he tips well. um, Any aspect of interaction with those that are out in the community, he wants to have a good reputation. If there's not a good reputation with those that are outside the world, and people say, yeah, that pastor ripped me off, then there's a disqualification. So he needs to have a good reputation, lest he fall into the reproach of the snare of the devil. And then verse eight, likewise deacons. Now a deacon, we've talked about elders. A, an elder oversees the spiritual needs in a body. A deacon oversees, first of all, the financial fund for the poor within the body. We could say that a deacon ministers to the physical needs of the body where an elder to the spiritual. Does not make one better than the other? It just makes it different. The first deacons that we find in the Bible are in Acts chapter 6. The, um, there, remember in Jerusalem, there were no Gentiles that had gotten saved yet by Acts chapter 6. There would be many who would get saved, but the church in Jerusalem was all Jews who had given their lives to Christ. And there were, there were Hellenistic Jews and there were those who were Jewish in both race and belief. The Hellenistic Jews were Greeks who had become Jewish. So they were Jewish by, not by race, they were Jewish by belief. Well, the Hellenists approached the apostles and said, our widows are being neglected. In other words, the money that is being overseen for the widows that the church is taking care of, those who are impoverished, is going to the Jewish women, not to the Greek women. We don't think it's right. And so the apostles said, should we leave the word of God and oversee tables? Not that overseeing tables is a bad thing, but they saw their role in handling the word of God. And so they said, choose seven men from among you and let them oversee this fund. And so they chose seven men. It's interesting when you read the names of the seven men, they were all Greek. They, the Greeks come and give a, an accusation against those who are Jewish by race. And so they hire all Greeks to run the fund. Isn't that great? I think it's wisdom and I think it's a matter of of trust, as if they're saying, we're not trying to rip anybody off. You guys go ahead and handle it. One of those deacons is named Stephen. Stephen became the first martyr of the church. And the next chapter tells us that Stephen was a man who did miracles, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It tells us awesome things about Stephen so that deacons are not elders and then deacons. They're different, some of you guys are gifted to be elders and some of you guys are gifted to be deacons. It's just part of what you do. Now, deacons in our church oversee what we call it as our benevolence fund. When you give to the church, a certain amount of everything that you give goes into a benevolence fund that's been divided. Part of it goes to people that don't go to our church. So if somebody comes to the church and needs food or, or money, we have ways of getting that to them. Don't necessarily just hand out money, but we have ways of getting it to them. If you come to the church, then we also have a part of our benevolence fund for you guys. That's generally hard for people that attend a church to go to their church and ask for help. And so my prayer for our deacons on a regular basis is that these guys would be be generous and that these guys would be tender in the way they handle it. Because it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to go and say, listen, I lost my job or we've had this financial thing happen and we need some help. But it's there for that. You need to know that in the body, that if you need help, there's a fund at our church to help you. Now, you can, and I think that's a great job, by the way. I think being a deacon is awesome. I think helping people in their struggles is awesome, but it could also give somebody kind of a power high, couldn't it? Like, I'm the one who's in charge of whether or not these people get that money. So, you want someone who's humble. You want someone who is able to oversee these things and not see it as some kind of a power trip. You want someone who's generous, who, but who's also wise enough to know when they're being taken advantage of, who's not giving it to people who don't really need it so that he has it to be able to give to people who need it. And God's been so gracious with us that our benevolence fund almost always runs over. We very rarely get to the, the bottom of our benevolence fund to where we have to say, you know what, we really can't help anybody out now. It has happened before, but it very rarely ever happens, which is really neat. God provides for the needs of the people that are in the church. Now, it says of a deacon, and the word deacon comes from deaconeus, which simply means servant. The deaconeus were servants to, to help those that were struggling financially. And I think it's, again, I think it's awesome that there are people in the church that their main job is just to care for those that are struggling in the church. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, note the much there, not greedy for money, holding the mysteries, the mystery of faith in, uh, with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested and let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives. Now that's a controversial statement because the word there is not in the Greek. In your Bibles, look at it. If you, if your Bible has the word there, likewise their wives, the word there is in italics. Anytime you find a word in italics in your Bible, it means there is not a corresponding Greek word. In other words, it doesn't say therefore their wives. It's been added by those who did the translation because they feel like it makes it a better understanding. So literally, it reads in the Greek likewise wives. Now the word wives. It's been translated many other places in the New Testament and only two places is it translated wives. Most often it is translated women, therefore women. The other place it's translated as wives is where it says wives be in submission, in submission to your own husbands. Well, it doesn't even need to have wives there because of the context, <clears throat> because of the context. <laughs> Let women be in submission to their own husbands. Wouldn't tell you it has to be wives. The context tells you if you got a husband, you're a wife. So this is the only place that you find it translated where the context doesn't force it. It's the only place where this word is translated wives. That has caused some to say he's not talking about the wives of deacons here. He's talking about women who are deacons. And in Romans chapter 16, there's a woman deacon by the name of Phoebe. She's actually mentioned in the Bible. There's other mentions of women that are involved in leadership. I believe women can and should be deacons. I believe they should be involved in overseeing these things. I believe women should be in leadership. I believe women can be pastors. See, in all of that, I get heads that snap up every service I was looking for in this one. People are like, La, pa, da, da, pastors, women, pastors, what are you talking about? I think a woman could be a youth pastor. I think a woman could be a children's pastor. I think a woman could be a woman's pastor. For us to say that women don't have a role in leadership, I think is to neglect what we find practiced in the New Testament. It's practiced differently. And I think the way this should read is likewise women, that is women deacons, must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, and um, faithful in all things. If you wanna know more about women in leadership, we talked some about it last week. You can listen to that study. Verse 12, let deacons be the husband of one wife, again, not a polygamist, ruling their children and their own household well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Those that serve as deacons, they obtain for themselves a good standing with Christ. It's a good thing to be a deacon, to really care about those that are suffering financially for the poor and for the impoverished, Part of what God wants us to do here in the church is to really minister to those that are struggling financially, and it's a good thing. He goes on to say these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. This is the way leaders ought to lead within the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. It is god that is the pillar and the ground of the truth we are the church of god who is the pillar and the ground of truth so we are serving and representing that pillar and that ground of truth which gives the church a significant position without controversy some of the other stuff may be controversial but without controversy great is the mystery of godliness the mystery of godliness that gentiles would be saved that god was going to become a man in order to save people listen to how it lists the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh. By the way, if you run into somebody who tells you Jesus wasn't God, the Bible never says it. This is one of the verses that you can tell them when they knock on your door on Saturday morning. <laughs> then he was justified in the spirit. Then he was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. This shocked them all. Because remember, you could become Jewish and you could become a Jewish Christian in the beginning if you became Jewish. But Christianity was seen as a sect of Judaism. The fact that you could become a Christian and not become Jewish was something God had to establish. And you can read how that happened in the book of Acts. But it shocked everybody that a Gentile didn't have to become Jewish. They could just be saved and all of a sudden believe. That was a mystery, mystery of godliness, believed on in the world and received up into glory. That is, people believe on Jesus and and then he was received up into glory. Now, I want to turn back to verse one to conclude. Verse one of chapter three says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, an episcopate, he desires a good work. It's a good thing. I believe that God is raising up men and women into areas of leadership. And if you desire to be a pastor, if you desire to come alongside in the area of leadership or eldership, then it's a good thing to do. You want to make sure that you meet the qualifications that are there. But if the Lord tarries, he's going to have to raise up all new leadership. Think if the Lord tarries for 50 years, all of us leaders that are here now will be gone and they'll have had to have raised up new leaders and God is always at work doing it. All right? So there we are. That is church leadership and the qualifications of elders 101. Aren't you guys glad you came? Glad you were here. You made your way through it. Only three of you slept during it. So I'm really glad and grateful for that. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We, uh, we thank you that you have given us direction on how we are supposed to live. And we believe that these things are very important. We believe that the, the characteristics of those that are in church leadership are incredibly important. We pray for those that are in leadership in our fellowship, in our family, in our church. I pray that we would meet these qualifications, that when we don't, that it would not be a light thing to us, but it's something we would take serious and that we would handle it. And if there needs to be repentance and change, Lord, let there be repentance and change. We thank you for the deacons among us that minister to those who are struggling financially within the church and those who are struggling financially outside the church. We pray that you would give them wisdom. We pray that they would be generous. We pray that the power of being able to help or not help someone would not go to their heads, but they would humbly serve you and humbly serve those that are struggling. We also pray for those who are struggling financially in our body. Uh, If they need to come and ask, Lord, that they would just come and ask and allow you through what you have established to be able to minister to them. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway in Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m our west campus south of palo verde and i-10 meets sunday mornings at 8:30 and 11 a.m our midweek service times are wednesday evening at 6 p.m at our east campus and 7:15 p.m at our west campus if you prefer you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our facebook page and youtube channel our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If practical Christian living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a recurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.